The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Ephesians 4.17. Um, while you're doing that, I want to just point out to you, uh, this is the last week to turn in a Westie. Uh, Westie is... One of the ways that we, we show our appreciation as a church body to people in, um, involved and engaged in service. Here at Westway Christian Church, you'll find a display out in the lobby, so please, uh, please do that today. Um, we got one of these over the week that I just thought I'd share with you. The Westies an award given to those who show and demonstrate selfless and Christ-like service with the body of Westway Christian Church. We, the Wednesday night crew, nominate Kanye West. He demonstrates selfless and Christ-like service when he, when he is basic. When he's my Chick-fil-A. Uh, when he's building a ranch in Wyoming and Dustin is in on it. He's born again when he goes from I am a God to Jesus is King. Kanye West knows Taylor Swift is trash. Because Jesus walks, I'm not going to sing that one, uh, because he's our number one with the lemonade, and because Sunday service. Um, if you have no idea who Kanye West is, um, that's pretty much okay. If you're wondering who Kanye West is and you'd like to know more, uh, Kanye West is a, a singer, songwriter, rapper. He's married to Kim Kardashian, and over the past month or so, uh, he has released an album called Jesus is King. And the entire album, all 27 minutes of it, is essentially praise and worship music. So as I was kind of thinking about that, I've seen and heard a lot of people talking about Kanye West over the past couple weeks. I thought it would be fun if, um, if we had a listening party here at Westway Christian Church. So I don't have details, all of the details on this yet, but if you would... Um, I would love for you to come and be a part of this. This is something that people in our culture are talking about. Um, pretty much whatever Kanye West releases, um, people flock to. So when he creates a praise and worship album called, um, called Jesus is King, Christians and non-Christians alike are listening, hearing, talking about it. Um, so it's kind of a way to engage other people in our, in our community about something on culture's own terms, in fact. So we are planning on doing this on November 17th um, here at Westway. I think it's going to be 6.30 to 8, but we'll have more details on that in a few weeks. So I would just love for you um, to do that. Last week we talked about the idea of giftedness, and, and after after that message, I had some people ask me some questions and had continuing conversation about giftedness, and there were a few things that, that I feel like that were unsaid. Um, believe it or not, in a 56-minute sermon, how you can have some things unsaid is kind of mind-blowing, but there were some things unsaid. Um, specifically, we talked about how God has given each believer, every person who has been united with Christ, every believer has a gift that is special for them through Christ's generosity. And while those gifts are, not, are unique to the individual, we don't all have the same gift. They're not meant for us. They're meant for the church body. 
So when I have a spiritual gift and you have a spiritual gift, we use those gifts for, for the goodness, for the building up of our church body so that we can find unity and maturity in those spiritual gifts. So how does unity and maturity happen when we just use our gifts? That was one of the conversations and questions we, we had last week. Well, this is what we talked about in my small group. Let's say I'm gifted in a certain way, and I don't use my gift. I have a spiritual gift, and I choose not to use it. Well, someone else then is going to have to use that gift, right? What if someone else isn't gifted in that, and they're doing something that they're not gifted for? And then when we have a whole bunch of people as a church body, and, and we are not using our gifts, then that, that rule you've probably heard where 20% of the people do 80% of the work, now that's not Westway Christian Church. We have far more, um, praise God, we have far more than 20% of our church body engaged in acts of service here at Westway Christian Church. So we are, we are that is not us. We are not that lopsided. But... If we have people who aren't functioning in their gifts, who aren't using their gifts for, for the building up of unity and for the body, that means few people are doing lots of different things. As a runner, I often have little injuries that take place, so, so I compensate for them. Let's say, let's say the front of my foot um, starts to hurt. Some people would stop running. I don't do that. I just keep running. So... If the front of my foot stops, starts to hurt, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my foot down in a different way, right? Because I don't want to feel that pain. So eventually, what's going to happen? That pain is going to go up, that compensation is going to go up here, and then I'm going to have a problem with my hip. It's going to create another issue within my own body. I'll have another injury. So you can imagine then when, when few people are doing the work of many people, you can see how disunity would form in that, Right? We can understand how when few people do a lot of people's work, people get frustrated and angry and disappointed. And we've all, had, we've all been on a team where someone wasn't doing what they were supposed to do. We've all been working in a place where there was a coworker that wasn't doing their job. And then one of us probably had to overcompensate for that, right? This is how it is in the body. This is how it is in the church. Last week I had a conversation with, um, with Evelyn Kammerer in the kitchen. We were talking about next week's Thanksgiving meal and the huge need that we have for people to just sign up and help. One of the things that she said was serving with other people allowed me to build relationships with them. Because even if I'm just, just, even if I'm just passing out plates with someone else, I'm probably having conversations with them. I'm probably talking to them. I'm getting to know who they are. And when I do that, I start to build unity with people, right? I find out who they are, what they know, what they talk about. So if I say Kanye West, they'll either have a reference for it or they won't have a reference for it. This is how we get to know one another here in the church because serving at Westway Christian Church isn't about tasks. Serving at Westway Christian Church isn't about tasks. It's about relationship. So when we all use our gifts and do our parts, we build relationship with one another, which leads to the next question. So what's my gift? And I think that's where a lot of us get, get hung up on. When Paul wrote about gifts in Romans and 1 Corinthians 12, and then when he included them here in, in this text to Ephesians, what Paul didn't do was include a copy of a spiritual gifts test. 
and say, now when you guys, when you guys get this letter, what I want you to do, they didn't have photocopiers then, what I want you to do is, is make another copy of this and pass it around to everyone in, their, in your body and try and figure out what your spiritual gifts are. He wrote this in Romans 12, and I think this is really important for us as we think about gifts. Because a lot of times when we think about spiritual gifts, we think it has to be this huge, massive thing. Like there's this list, and I have to have one of those gifts. But this is what Paul says in Romans 12. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I think what Paul's trying to communicate is what, whatever the thing you're good at that builds up the body, do that thing. Don't don't wait for a spiritual gift test to come along and tell you what your gift is. Just serve. And using your gift means serving. If you're wondering how, there's a serving list out there for Thanksgiving next week, and it doesn't honestly it doesn't have enough names on it. And here's the thing. Next Sunday night, that room is going to be full of people. And we can all watch 14 people do the work of 45 which will be zero fun for anyone. Or we can serve. We can go out there, we can sign up, we can serve, and there are lots of ways that we can do that. Because if 14 people are doing the work of 45, while 180 or 200 of us are all being served by those 14 people, that's not going to do very much to add to unity, is it? I'm not browbeating you. I don't want you to feel that. I want us to see that God has work for us as a church body. And we don't have to wait. We don't have to, we don't have to wait for God to reveal a gift to us to start serving. We can start serving now. We can go through this room at the end of the day today. I said this last week and pick up the bulletins. Somebody can bring the flags in from outside. See, that is what it means for us to serve And this whole series has been about the unity and submission of the church to Christ and to one another. It's about loving and serving Christ and loving and serving one another. That's what we've been talking about over the last month and a half. And for those of us who are united with Christ, it's about us leading and living new lives. It's about us being different because of what Christ has done in us. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that's today's Realize, Know, and Accept Redeemed people live redeemed lives. People who, are, people who are new, people who have been saved, live those new lives. Let's read Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17 together. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature 
and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as every type of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So let me tell you about this orange shirt. This orange shirt stinks. I mean, literally, this orange shirt stinks. It's gross. It's disgusting. This was one of the first shirts I ever bought when I started running about 10 years ago. And I still, obviously, still have it. So it's got like 10 years of sweat and grime and dirt and dust and just general human body nastiness all over it. No matter how many times we've washed it, it still smells. Um, In fact, the only reason I'm wearing it right now is because I washed it yesterday. And up until about 25 minutes ago, it still smelled like it came out of the laundry. But now this disgusting shirt is starting to waft up into my nose. And we have tried everything that you can imagine. Washes and sprays and powder, and there's not enough lavender in the world to take the nasty scent out of the armpits on this shirt. What needs to happen with this shirt, and it would make my wife happy if it did, is for this shirt to be taken off and completely cast aside. But here's the reality. I've had this shirt for 10 years now. I paid 50 bucks for it. It's comfortable. It has a story. It has meaning. And in some ways, if you were to look back at, like, picture, like, if I've done a race, chances are, over the last 10 years, if I've run a race, I've been wearing this shirt. It's funny, a couple weeks ago, or back, in, back over the summer, there was uh, the Don Childs race, and, of course, there was a photo, and I posted it on Instagram, and my brother's comment was, haven't you had that shirt for, like, 10 years? I think we're like that with our sin. I think our sin is comfortable. I think we can find our identity in our sin. I think our sin can give our lives meaning. I think for some of us, our sin can define us. So because of that, because of the way we look at sin, we do with our sin what I do with my shirt, right? We try to clean ourselves up. I just think if I can wash this shirt more and more and more, eventually the stink is going to come out of this shirt. So for some of us, 
We come to church. We do all of the righteous religious things. Because if we think, if, if we can just do those things, then eventually we'll be clean. We read our Bibles like three days in a row. We post Bible verses on, script, on Facebook. We start to clean ourselves up. We start to do the work ourselves. But you know what eventually happens? That rottenness that is our sin begins to manifest itself again. And we wonder why. Because we don't know what the problem is, and Paul does. Throughout this book of Ephesians, Paul has been telling us what the problem is. He has been diagnosing humanity. He's saying it's our sinful nature. The problem with humanity is our sinful nature. Listen to how bluntly he describes this at the beginning of Ephesians 4 and 17. Hopelessly confused, filled with darkness, and wandering from God with closed minds and hardened hearts. And a little earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul said was, your refusal to take off your old self, your refusal to cast aside your sinful nature is going to kill you. It's going to absolutely destroy your life. That's why you are subject to God's wrath, but there are two things you can do. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. I want you to pay attention to the, to the order of Paul's, Paul's program for us to get better. And I didn't know this until I reread it again this week. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. He says you have to start internally. He doesn't say, get rid of all of your sin and then the rest of your body will follow. He says, get rid of your former nature. Get rid of what's going on inside of you if you want to be changed. And for us, like a lot of us, we just don't believe that. So we doTERRA and we CrossFit and we go back to school for more education and we receive applause and acclaim. And none of those things fix us. Because earlier this year, I think I said, wherever we go, there we are. See, the, the fix isn't, isn't within. Because on my own, I'm still that same person. Wherever I go, there I am. What I need someone to do is come into my heart and change my nature. When we accept what Jesus has done, we accept the truth that we're dead and only life comes from him, then we can cast off our own sinful nature. We have to recognize that we need Christ. And we let the Spirit do two things. This is from the text. Renew our thoughts and then renew our attitudes. Well, how does the Holy Spirit do that? How does God renew our thoughts? This is why we've been talking about over the last couple weeks praying Bible prayers. See, when we pray Bible prayers, I don't have to be concerned if God wants to answer my prayer or not. When I pray a Bible prayer, when I ask God to give, give me insight and wisdom, this is from Ephesians chapter 1. 
When I ask God to give me insight and wisdom so that it will add to my knowledge of God, God wants to answer that prayer. Because he's telling me to pray it. So I want to pray Bible prayers. And we need God to do that because we can't do it on our own. No matter how hard we try, we can't, we can't fix ourselves. And this is the harsh truth of what he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. He's saying before we are united with Christ, we serve and obey the devil. We can't fix ourselves, and that's hard and that's heavy. And maybe, and maybe we have a problem with that in our 2019 enlightened culture. But if it's not true, then why can't you fix yourself? Why are, you st- why, why are we still struggling with the same old things? See, God offers us salvation, and all we have to do is respond in obedience. That, that is our con- contribution to being saved, is obedience. That's our only contribution. So what we have to do is we have to slowly but surely take, take this old self off. We have to take this old shirt off. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says that we are no longer to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we study the Bible. We engage in conversation about the Bible. We pray with other people, praying Bible prayers. We ask him for wisdom and insight. We ask him to give us inner strength. We ask him to make his home in our hearts. And then surely and slowly over time, the old self comes off. The old self comes off over time. And we become more and more aware of God's working within our lives. And this tension between, between our old selves and our new selves, what's going to happen when you, when you cast off this old shirt? You're going to have your old one here, and you're going to have a new one here. And they're going to have, there are going to be times where you have to decide what shirt you're going to put on. See, this is what it means to increase in our holiness. This is what it means for us to learn and grow in our relationship with God. When we stop reading the Bible because we have to, but because we are developing a relationship with God, that's us starting to put the new shirt on. When we start praying with other believers, not because we have to, but because we want to hear from God and we actually want to be transformed in relationship with other people, we start putting the new shirt on. We read the Bible and we find satisfaction and joy in it. When we come to the 1015, we don't, we don't come to take. We don't only come to receive, but we come to give. And then, over time, I knew that was going to be the trouble one. 
we're wearing the new nature. It's on us. It's who we are. Our new nature is created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then, see, when we have this new nature on us, on our heart, then we can begin to be Christ-like. Then we can begin to do the things that Christ-like people do. And Paul lists these in Ephesians. We stop telling lies. Instead, we tell our neighbors, especially those who are Christians, we tell them the truth. That's what it means to put on new things. We don't gossip or slander about people. We don't talk about things with people who can't do anything about it. That's probably my least favorite part of gossip and slander, although I've got a long list about things that I don't like about gossip and slander. But my least favorite part is why you would ever talk to someone who can't do anything to fix it. It's mind-boggling to me that I would gossip and slander about someone with someone that could never even actually do anything about it. We speak the truth in love. That's what it means to that's what it means to cast off this old smelly thing and put on the new. We don't let sin we don't sin by being controlled by our anger. And notice the order there. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says don't sin in your anger. So what we do is we keep short accounts. We don't let the sun go down while we're still angry. We ask questions and we seek reconciliation with one another as Christians and we fight for unity. And like Paul would write a little bit later in Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verse 18, we do all that we can to live at peace with everyone. We do all that we can to live at peace with everyone. We do all that we can to be at peace with everyone. We're not responsible when people refuse to be at peace with us. To live lives worthy of our calling means that we're humble, gentle, patient, and we make allowance for the faults of others, even when the ones that we are out of relationship with don't. I don't change my behavior based on a response of someone who doesn't want to be in relationship back. That's what it means to be new. If we're thieves, we stop stealing. We take off the old. And maybe we're wiping our brows and saying, okay, finally, this one doesn't apply to us. But I would say not so fast. You know what it means to put on the new? It means to use your hands for good work, then give generously to others in need. See, it's not just stop stealing In every one of these things that we are told to do in casting off the old, do you see that there's a new thing that we're supposed to do instead? It's not just stop doing these old things, throw that shirt away. We're to put on a new nature. This is our obedient response. We are to use our hands for good work and give generously to others. I would say when we hoard everything for ourselves, I would say that we're stealing. This is no different than what we talked about spiritual gifts last week, which is why I brought it up a little bit earlier. When you're not using your gifts, when I'm not using my gifts for the betterment of our church body, what you are doing, what I'm doing, is robbing from our body. 
when we refuse to participate in what God is doing with our gifts, we're robbing the body. And I would say we're robbing from God. Some of us have a really hard time being generous because we're selfish. Because we think that everything we make is for us. But redeemed people live redeemed lives and transformed people live transformed lives. The old nature hoards. The old nature keeps a nasty shirt around for 10 years because I paid 50 bucks for it 10 years ago. That's the old nature. That's the old nature. The new nature casts it aside for something else. Don't use foul and abusive language. We want to we take off the old. That's what Paul's saying. Take off the old. Let the words we say, this is how we put on the new, let the words we say be an encouragement, be good and helpful to others. So, for some of you who like, are really, really, really paying attention right now, maybe we, you hear this text and you think back to that Francis Chan video I showed last week. The one where Francis Chan said, sucks. Is that abusive language? Was it foul? Let's talk about the text that Francis Chan began with from Hebrews. He said this, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain because you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. This isn't Francis Chan, this is Paul. So we should maybe ask a question. When Paul calls people spiritually dull, is that abusive? Is that foul? Listen to what he continues to say. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again about the basic things of God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who is on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. We talked about this in our elders meeting last week, as I'm sure you can imagine. When Francis Chan used the word suck, he was using it literally. He was talking about a baby that sucks out of a Bible, out of a bottle. And, and for some of us, when we hear that word, like if someone were to say, you suck, like we think of our cultural context for it. And yes, Francis Chan was using a little wordplay, but he was using the term literally. He was talking to and he was talking about Christians who ought to be a lot more mature than what they are, but they would rather stay immature. They'd rather take. They'd rather suck from the bottle. They would rather come to the 1015 and just feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, and take and take and take. And I would suggest to you that the least loving thing we could ever do to immature Christians is to not confront them. The least loving thing that we could do with immature Christians is to not confront them. Boldly. Lovingly, yes. But boldly. And the Bible is filled with with bold confrontation of people whose lips are close to God, but their hearts are far from him. See, when Paul wrote in verse 17, live no longer as the Gentiles do, he was writing to a church. He was writing to a group of people who were claiming that they were transformed, but they weren't living lives of transformation. 
So Paul says things that are boldly confrontational, but it's for our own good. Because if I'm not living a mature Christian life, I need to be boldly confronted on that. I need to be in relationship with people who are going to come alongside me and say, John, you're not living a life of a Christian. You're not living a life of someone who says they're transformed. Because this is, this is serious. See, the way, the way Paul talks about people who are in relationship with God and out of relationship with God, there's only one, there are two choices. You're either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. And sometimes it's only bold confrontation that wakes us up, that helps us to realize what God's plan and intention is in our and for our own lives. When we live as the Gentiles do, as Paul's writing, when we claim to be transformed but don't live transformed lives, we bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. We have this guarantee of an inheritance. So if I say I'm transformed and the Holy Spirit is living inside of me and every day I just keep choosing to put this shirt back on, I'm not living a transformed life. My nature hasn't been changed. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's like, John, what is your problem? What's your deal? Why do you keep putting that old shirt on? Or as my wife would say, why do you keep putting that shirt back in our closet? It makes all of my clothes stink. See? So every time I put this shirt back in the closet, I grieve my wife. And when we keep putting our old nature back on, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And the proof of our salvation, the proof of our relationship with God, is the way we are with God vertically, the way we interact with God, the way we respond to God vertically, and it's also the way that we respond with one another horizontally. See, that's the proof if we want to know if we're really in a right relationship with God, how are we vertically and how are we horizontally with one another? Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and evil behavior, these all stem from the old nature. And these are all things that we cast off and we replace them with kindness. Do you see how, do you see how these are counter to these old behaviors? Kindness, being tenderhearted, by forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. And how has Christ forgiven us? Completely. Perfectly. Holy. That's with a W. Christ has completely forgiven us. There are two natures. There's the old sinful one. And there's the new one. Which shirt are you wearing today? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for desiring to make us new. To not just fix the, the outside, but to do, do work 
inside each and every one of us to do the hard work that we ourselves cannot do, to give us a new nature. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and the way that he does that. God, for those of us who are in that constant struggle of the old nature and the new nature, help us to, help us to understand what this is really all about. Help us to understand what you desire for us. We pray these Bible prayers. We think about wisdom and insight and having our hearts enlightened and being empowered with inner strength and not being immature like babies and all of these other things that we've talked about. God, these, these are the things that you desire for us. So I pray that we would desire to put on the new nature. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.